Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Podcasters Podcast. This is a different episode this week. This is a live in-person recording we did at the Podcasters Podcast where I interviewed Chloe Bisson. Now, Chloe is a PR expert. She's a public speaker. And most importantly, she has a book publishing business. And she shares with you guys as podcasters on how you can turn the information that you've already got within your podcast and turn that into either a book, which you can then start selling, which helps build your brand, or how you can become a public speaker. Now, Chloe's had a plethora of incredible guests of her show. And one thing she does incredibly well is interviewing and really pulling the good stuff out of her guests. And that's where the good content lies. So if you want to improve your skills of being an interviewer as a podcast, and if you want to continue to build your brand beyond just podcasting, then you need to listen to this episode. So let me know what you think of it and enjoy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Kay? Really good. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to get straight into it. Talk to us about books. So I've mentioned on the podcast plenty of times, a lot of creators turn their content into books or they get approached by publishers. Mm-hmm. and I'd like to get your opinion on this because there's sort of a debate between publishers and self-publishing. I think one of the best arguments I've seen for self-publishing is, well, if you're a business owner or you're an entrepreneur and you're using it as like a brand builder or perhaps using it as like a funnel, mm-hmm. you can give them away for free, which I'm assuming publishers say absolutely not. So let's start with that. What's, what's the argument on both sides? Yeah, good question. So the biggest myth is that there's only two routes, which is okay. traditional publishing and self-publishing. I'm already actually, wrong. That's good. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a third one, but you're, you're actually probably mo- the majority of the population that believe that. Um, so let's go. Self-publishing is great because you have full creative control. So you can choose how much you sell it for, where you sell it, what goes in it. Publishers typically will edit it, change it a lot because it needs to meet their brand. Mm. So self-publishing is a great route because you have full control and you get 100% of the profits. Now, it's whether those profits are worth getting 100% off, right? If you have a big brand, you have a big audience, then self-publishing is a great route because then you can sell it and you get 100% of the profits. Now, what what most people don't realize though is self-publishing is only really big on Amazon. So if you want to be on Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, other platforms, you will not be able to do it on your own. It's actually not possible to publish on those platforms on your own without a publishing brand behind you. So if we go down the traditional route, the great thing about traditional publishing, if you get someone like Hay House or Penguin, they will, they will share the book for you. I have a good friend called Claire Daverley who's just been signed by Penguin Books. Her book, I think she was signed a year ago, is now in 24 countries and she's not known. Wow. It's in airports you walk through. It's in there. It's, and it's she, I interviewed her on my podcast recently and she was just like still, I'm still like, I just celebrated with a takeaway and you know, fish and <laughs> chips at home, you know? So traditional publishers will ascend, can actually really make you. But as I said, the risk with that is that you generally, I mean, you can give away anything between 80 and to 95% of your sales. It's a huge amount of money for mm. something you've created with your knowledge. It also means you have no other options of choice giving your book away for free. If you want to turn it into an audiobook, they need to say so. If you want to do a second edition, they need to say so. They own part of your intellectual property. So there's obviously a risk there. The third option, which has only really come about in the last couple of years, is what we call hybrid publishing. This is where you use a publishing agency, which is one of like what we do, which is where we act like your publisher, but we don't take any ownership and we don't take any of the profit. We take a fee to do the work for you, but it's your book. You put it wherever you like, but we'll still promote it to all our channels. 
that means you can then get into the other platforms without having to give up a huge portion of it. So there are those three options and they're all great depending on where you're at when you start. Amazing. So on the second option, so if you're going down traditional publishing route, how does that work? Do they pay you up front, I believe? And then yeah. what they take all sales? How, how does that work? Yeah. So if it's a really good book or if, if you're really big brands, they will give you a book deal. So it's typically, ideally you want more than one book deal, not as in more than one book in a book deal, not just one, because then they will be incentivized to help you get the second book out and so on as well. Now, typically they'll give you a fee up front, like a signing bonus, and then they'll take a percentage of your sales, a large percentage of your sales. That's typically how it works, yeah. So if you're a podcaster creator, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the best route in your opinion? Being really honest, which might sound a bit strange, I'm not actually going to say the hybrid publishing, which is what I do, which is why I'm being very honest here. In an ideal world, we'd all get traditionally published because okay. that means that they will put your book in thousands of people's hands and they're incentivized to do that but there's a big but and the reason i'm answering this is you mentioned as a podcaster or business owner entrepreneur you've got to find your own way of making money from that book not through book sales because they don't take cuts of that so if you're writing a book so i've just written a book called just write the damn book nice and it's a book about how to write a book now yes i'm going to make money from that book but i'm also going to make money when people come and work with me i'm also going to make money when i get paid to speak on stages Publishers don't touch that. Mm. So provided you have other ways of making money from the rest of your funnel, I guess you could say, from the rest of the process, then a traditional publishing is a great route. But just make sure you've got your backup plan and be prepared to take criticism because you get a lot of rejections with traditional publishers. You can get a lot of hope and then actually, no, we decided to pull you or not proceed with your book. And it can be really disheartening for people if they actually have written something they're genuinely proud of. So how do you work that into a book then so very similar to podcasting right create mm-hmm. content share your value a funnel it's top of funnel so what are the best practices if i'm writing a book to actually make sure people are aware like can you explicitly say like oh i do this thing because mm. on a podcast i can you know you've essentially just dropped your business mm. quick plug by the way <laughs> slick how does that work in a book it's exactly the same. The only thing is, in the same way you wouldn't come on a podcast and be like, hey guys, before I speak about myself, I'm going to tell you all these amazing things that I do. Buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. You would never do that in a book. I've seen it a lot in books where early in the process, they'll start selling things like chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, don't do it because mm-hmm. they haven't built rapport with you yet. They haven't fallen in love with you yet and you haven't earned the right by giving them enough. So the way I always recommend doing it is have a sort of, with your book, this is a big tip that is has game changing a lot for a lot of my authors is add a bonus resources section online that they get free in your book. Amazing. So it's not a lead magnet. It's not, you can also get this. It's like, by the way, you've bought the book. Thank you so much. You're going to get a copy of the physical book. When they get it, there's a QR code or a link. And it's, by the way, there are free resources, bonus resources that you get only because you've bought this book. So it might be like with chapter three, you get an audio, I don't know, meditation if your book's like that, or you might get an online training course or whatever but it's part of the book. And then again, you get their email, you get their name, and then you can then continue to serve them. But you only do that by giving them again more. Will a traditional publisher let you do that? No. Right. Because then you're moving the the actual money away from their funnel. In mm. the same way, big tip, when you're self-publishing, you will never know their names and emails of who's bought your book. Mm. Amazon doesn't give you that data. That's a shame. It gives you, exactly, it Amazon will give you the number of sales. It will tell you how much money you've made and it'll pay you, which is fantastic. It gives you a massive platform. But because of that, you have to have your own way in your book to get people's names and emails. Otherwise you don't, 
you don't get that data. And I did not know that when I, when I did my very first book because no one taught me. And I was just like, let's see if I can get this on Amazon. Mm. And now I know, and that's why I've relaunched it and put in other bits because I've learned on the journey. Well, let's talk about other mistakes of first book. Mm. So this is something Rob's roping me into a little bit. So we're going to write potentially a book. I'm hoping the majority of the content can come from the 122 mm. podcast episodes we've done, ideally, because I don't like writing very much. Yeah. So what are the tips to you know help you get started and what are some of the common mistakes people make on their first? Yeah, great question. And this is going to sound really bad, but don't just use your podcast episodes is oh, my shit. first tip. <laughs> <laughs> because people notice that, right? So that I'll give you two two big tips on this. The biggest mistake most people make is either they teach all of their process in a book and it's not about them at all. So people read the book and they think, oh, this is great, really helpful. And then somebody says, oh, who wrote the book? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Mm. They don't even remember your name, let alone what you taught them in the story. So that's one big mistake. The other side is they don't teach a process and it's almost like a biography, but they're not telling you it's an autobiography. So it's like, this is my journey. That's great if you're a big, well-known name. But if no one knows you, the only people that are going to buy your book are your friends, your family, a few great clients, and that's it. Mm. So they're the two biggest mistakes I see. What you want to do is meet in the middle. So write a book that delivers a particular outcome. I call it your big promise. Like what's the big promise at the end of reading this book? What is your reader going to learn? And that teaches your process. But in the process, weave in parts of your story. So for example, you might have a podcast episode where you talk about, I don't know, uh, selecting guests or choosing guests. You have a process that you teach in all your training programs anyway. That goes in your book and in there you will get the podcast episode repurposed where you teach selecting your guests or choosing guests or pitching for guests. And then in there, you give your own example. This is what I did when I interviewed Chloe Bison on the da, 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 da podcast, like, or when I've interviewed this person and this is how I did it. Mm. So you add your story, weave it into your book because then they're loving the process, but they're also going, oh my God, can you believe Keynes did this? And so when they do recommend your book, Keynes the person that did X, Y, Z. And I read his book and it was awesome. Facts tell, stories sell. Exactly, 100%. So I talk about repurposing, you know, you can get the ultimate, you know, you create one piece, chop it up. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing that, but you can, I suppose, at least leverage the time spent researching doing those episodes because like Stephen Bartlett just released his 33 Laws. Mm-hmm. However many episodes he's done, here are my top three takeaways. Mm-hmm. So it's same content in a way, it's just repackaged in a written format in a new way. So it's not just in the chat GPT, read this or listen to this, Mm -hmm. spit it out. So you can still save some time with your podcast. Yeah. In fact, what I would say is map out your process and then find the episodes of your podcast where you've covered that process. So it's like, it's almost like piecing together a puzzle, but you don't go, these are the episodes I've recorded. Let's put it in a book. Mm. Unless you were going to try and do like a 52 lessons on on publishing or podcasting, and then you slot it in like that. But a book is about learning as well. So they have to have a process to follow. Otherwise people will get lost and go, oh, I can't be bothered. Because mm. the, the most people don't realize that the majority of people that buy your book never finish it. Mm. So they have to fall in love with you and the process early on in the book to actually finish reading. Just need to front load all the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay, amazing. Let's talk about PR because that's another string to your bow. Yeah. How do podcasters who have got no audience, you know, start from scratch mm. or other creators why should they use PR? What is it? Because before I sort of was in this world, I thought it was just black magic. Who knows? You might get cool. I'm paying somebody a few grand a month. Will I get an article? Who knows? So tell us what it is and how we can get started. 
Yeah, such. A, I'm giggling as you said that because so many people think like PR is just the BBC or just Sky or just ITV mm. and there's just so much more to it. So the way I like to define PR is it's just tapping into a bigger audience. So similar to how people do go on podcasts, like I'm on this podcast and I will be heard by people who don't know me. It's mm. exactly the same. Whether you go on radio, whether you go in a magazine, whether you go on TV, you're tapping into somebody else's audience. The difference though, is it's not your friend from down the street. It's someone who already has status. So the best thing about getting into the media, as I call it, is leveraging other people's status. And there's a thing in, in PR, which we call association. So you borrow that person's association. So let's say I am, I don't know, let's say I go on Loose Women, right? Anyone that likes Loose Women or ITV, they'll think, wow, Chloe's on Loose Women. I've borrowed their mm. brand. So I'm now associated with their brand. That is why PR works. Amazing. It's about building the authority, not just the visibility. You don't want to be on a radio station or a, you know, a platform that has loads of listeners, but no one remembers you. You've got, it's got to be building your status and authority as well as building the visibility. So I'm going to assume PR and leveraging other people's brands is important, but mm -hmm. as you started your own podcast, you kind of want to own that audience yourself rather yeah, than appearances. Yeah. So what, why did you start the podcast? Yeah, it's a good point. So for me, when you go into the media, you don't have very long to make an impact. People are listening to a, a, a radio or TV. I mean, even in TV nowadays, you have like five minute segments. I was on an, an Australian TV channel for five minutes and I thought, how am I going to do, how am I going to grab their attention in five minutes? How long were you waiting before you went on, by the way? Oh, about 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. It was, it was mad. <laughs> so, um, and, and that was on a good day. Imagine something mm. else bigger in the news had come up and you get mm. bumped, which I've seen happen to so many people. So the reason I started a podcast is go where the audience is on someone else's platform and then ethically, morally, nicely give value and then bring them with you. Mm. So show up on other people's podcasts, show up on radio, show up on TV, show up on the media, and then give them a reason to want to carry on talking to you. So the way to get started is just, it's about nailing that elevator pitch, nailing that story. Why are people going to want to actually listen to you? Mm. So why did you actually then start the podcast? Because like PR is great. Mm. But clearly you want to own the audience. Is that mostly for like a business perspective? So similar mm. to the books, funneling people down. Is that the primary reason? I wish I could say yes, but it wasn't. It really okay. wasn't at all. Um, business can get really boring at times. And for me, I've built two very successful businesses and I speak on lots of different stages all over the world, which is amazing. But I actually just like having conversations with people. And I found when I was, say, in the green room or behind the scenes before I would go on stage, I would talk to people and I'm like, oh, my God, this person's so interesting. And it's not the person you see on stage because the person they're seeing on stage is the one that needs to sell or the one that needs to make an impact in a short period of time. You don't see the real people behind when you're on stage. I'm telling you now, I've trained so many people. You see a great part of them, which is fantastic, but no one's going to go on stage and say, oh, yeah, I experienced this as a child or this was the trauma I faced or this was the biggest challenge. Most people tell you on stage the good stuff because they want to inspire you, mm. but there's more to inspiration. So for me, honestly, I just wanted to carry on the conversations because I would speak to people behind the scenes and I'm like, you know, I'd see, I mean, the first time I ever met Rob Moore was hilarious because I was like, I've heard so much about you. I just want to be, I was so curious and so nosy. Poor man wanted to go and probably go to the bathroom and I just wanted to ask loads of questions. And so then I thought, what if I could do that in front of a camera and give one, the opportunity to them to actually speak about it mm. and two, get to ask more questions and learn more about them. And that's why, that's how it happened. And I started pitching my podcast before I even knew what it was called or if I was even going to do it. I just thought, by the way, I'm, I'm speaking to this person behind the scenes. Like, would you like to come on my podcast? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, okay, I better start a podcast. 
And that's how it happened. Go on, plug it. What's it called? What's it about? Thank you, Kane. Okay. It's called The Inspired By Show. And it's exactly what I've said. It's about inspiring stories. So my goal on the show is to talk about the raw and real. So I get to ask all the raw and real questions. So then the listeners can hear the raw and real answers. And so far, the plan was just to, for me to ask deep questions and really learn about people's shit times behind the success, not just the success. Um, but actually, so far, every guest I've had on has shared something they've never told anyone before because they finally have the opportunity to say it in a safe environment with people that really care. What was the episode with Rob like? And that hasn't come out yet, but... It was hilarious. He's probably the only first podcaster I've interviewed who knows about podcasting. So he was really good at like sharing really good pieces of content. But then the amount of times he turned it around on me and was asking me questions, he was like, what would you do in this situation? And, and I'm like, Rob, can we just get back to the point? Deflecting. Yeah, exactly. Don't make me cry. Yeah. But Rob did say at one point, he was like, that's a really good question. Not a good question for me to answer, but it's really making me think. And I'm thinking exactly that's, that's what I want. How did you get to that point then? Because I think the thing people struggle with the most, mm. especially when it's more of an, an emotional thing, like we've made a joke, Stephen Bartlett tries to make people cry. He went from interviewing CEOs to like any celebrity that will shed a tear. Mm. But that's still a skill. Yeah. So what's your process of interviewing people? Do you have certain tricks of the trade to get the, the real juicy bits out of people? Yeah. So I learned this from publishing people's books, actually, because most people write books that they don't really share much of the raw and real. So I had to kind of pull it out of them. And so what I found is one, I never over prepare. I don't plan every single question. I don't even, I come up with the first question and I've got a rough idea of like what I want to talk about. Like maybe I've listened to a book, uh, their audio book or I've watched something else, but I don't plan questions mm. because the worst thing you can do on a podcast is not pay attention. Like we're recording this, you're looking at me. You haven't got a notebook. You're not looking down. You're not going, oh, hang on, what's my next question? So being present with them and this is going to sound really woo and every spiritual if anyone's into that, but just like feel their energy. Are they open? Are they, how are they sounding? And just pay attention to the words. Like I interviewed someone recently, a TV presenter who I thought I wanted to talk about his TV career. And he said one word, like one phrase. He said, he grew up in an area with high knife crime. And the rest of everything I thought I was going to talk about went out the window. And I went, oh, tell me about that. What was that like? Mm. Such a fantastic episode because I paid attention to the, like the golden nuggets he dropped. So I would say when you're when you're planning on doing a podcast is have an idea of where you're going to start. Have a really good opening question that lets them talk because then it gives you time to listen mm. and just listen more than you speak. It's pretty good advice. Mm. So you can't do this online, but in person's great. How much do you look at body language? Because I'm going to assume, you know, if somebody's really sort of physically closed off, you're not mm. going to be like, well, tell me about your childhood trauma. Like you're probably going to want exactly. Do you, yeah. do you look into that much? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't overanalyze it, but I just get a feeling for it. Mm. Um, I had one guest who I'm not going to say who really good friend of mine actually, and just came across so arrogant on the camera. Um, and I was just like, almost, I wanted to stop the recording, but I have this thing on the show where none of it's edited in the middle of the episode, nothing. People cough, people sneeze. It's raw and real. I can't edit and take out the raw and real. Um, and here's, I almost wanted to pause to say, where is this ego come from? Park, park it and let's mm. get you know into the good stuff. And so I just asked a pattern interrupt question. So for example, if someone's really like closed arms and just like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, everything's been really great in my business. And I'm like, okay, really? Like I will say something doing like, okay, and what's been the darkest moment then? And mm. I just say something that is going to create a pattern interrupt because I don't want them to come on the show and brag. And that's mm. just not my energy. And the biggest thing I would say to podcasters if you feel a way when you're listening to that guest, whether it's online, whether it's in person, your audience will feel it too. Everything you're feeling, especially if you are, you haven't, you know, 
you haven't spoken to the person before and said, tell me about your story so I know what to ask. Like mm. I'll, I'll, people will come in and say, can I tell you a bit first? I'm like, nope, don't tell me. I just mm. want to react because that's how your audience will feel too. That's my biggest pet peeve. I was speaking to the guys about this yesterday was pre-interview interviews. And then the host would constantly be like, oh, you know, we were saying earlier, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say a story and then they basically have to do a fake reaction because yeah. I've already heard the punchline of the joke or mm -hmm. the, you know, the saddest part of the story. So it's just really, really awkward yeah. and inauthentic. Yeah, to totally. And I think the challenge people have is that they want to do the pre-podcasting questions because they want to get to the good stuff in the episode. Mm. But your audience haven't heard any of that backstory. And I promise you, you do that with them. The next time they say on camera, the guests won't say it in the same way. And you'll be like, what? You said it way better the first time. Yeah. Can you say it the way you said it then? So just, just trust yourself as a podcast host. What's the worst thing that can happen? It's not the best episode. You learn. Mm. Watch it back, learn and think, what could I ask instead? Do you do that? Do you listen back to your own things? Go, ah, oh, missed an opportunity or oh, well done, Chloe. Smash, that was a really yeah. good one. I do. I never used to. Um, and the only reason I do now is actually for two reasons. One, I used to be really hard on myself. So I would leave an interview and be like, I wasn't the best. I didn't do my best then. And my producer would always say, Chloe, what, the, what are you talking about? You smashed it. And I was so hard on myself. And I worse, right? As a speaker, you can do that because you're like, oh, well, I messed up. When you're giving an opportunity to somebody else, I'm like, let's say I was interviewing you, Kane. I'd be like, oh, I didn't do Kane the best thing him. I let him down. And that's what I used to think. And so when, uh, bearing in mind, I recorded a lot before we released it, spoiler alert. So I think I had about 15 before we released. So I then watched them as they were getting released again. And then uh, watching, I was like, actually, I wasn't actually that bad. I thought I was way worse. So that was at the beginning. But now I, I watch them just to think, does the same question come to my mind again? So am I thinking the same thing? Or am I thinking, oh, I could have asked this question. But you kind of learn as you go. And I think it is important to watch them back to get a sense of, was that any good for anyone? Mm. Do you have a, a set format? So for example, what I normally do is get some context to them, their business, why they started a podcast, mm. tips, tricks, the trade, yeah, and then goals. So it's sort of a chronological order. Mm. How about you? Do you have a set format? Is it sit down and let's figure this thing out? A hundred percent sit down. Let's figure this thing out. Um, there's only, I think actually Rob's episode and maybe one other, I completely just lost track and I was like, I have no idea where we're going with this, but let's see where we end up. Um, at one point, Rob even looked at his, I said, I don't, I don't even know what the time is. Like, should we just keep going on the podcast? I'm not going to chop that out because it's quite funny. And, um, so I don't have a structure at all. I always ask one question that will take them back to a story. So it might be like, um, so Kane, you're, you know, an incredible podcast host. You train podcast training and podcast speaking and things. Um, what attracts you to, to this industry? And then they'll go, hmm, good question. And then usually go on about whatever. And that, I, I, there's usually something in there that helps me take them to the next journey. But I end, I always like to end on what's next for them or what have they learned? What's the biggest piece of advice? I end on a positive. Um, and then I have one question at the end I ask every single guest which I'm going to share because it has been game changing for me. I always ask, and this has to be relevant to your podcast, by the way. So don't steal it word for word because it's relevant to my podcast. So my podcast is called The Inspired By Show. So at the end, I always ask, who do you know that has an inspiring story that you should come on the show next? And that's a really good opportunity for them to plug people they know. Um, but it also helps me get like-minded guests. So then that works really well. And then people now expect that at the end of every episode. So everyone listens to the end because they're like, I wonder who they're going to recommend next. Mm. Why do you think the question works so well? 
because I don't have to look for guests. Mm, just saves time. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, um, most people don't like to only recommend one person because they feel bad. They're like, I have loads of inspiring friends. Mm. Um, so I tend to get quite a few recommendations that way. And it is just really nice because then I don't feel, I mean, I do still message big guests and I still like plug and be like, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? Um, but I don't have to do it as much. And nobody picks someone shit. If you ask me that, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, I've got Ash. You know, I'm going to pick somebody like really... <laughs> I'm going to pick somebody that's, you know, going to be a really good guest because it's an ego boost, isn't it? It's like, yeah, of course it is. how high up the social hierarchy do I go? Who do I know? Yeah. And they always sort of, go, I always say, you know, if you're a C-lister, I'm going to at least recommend a B or an A that I know. Yeah, of course. He's throwing me abuse from across the <laughs> Love you really, dude. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get Ash on the show before you, then it'll it balance out. <laughs> oh, damn. Hit me where it hurts, <laughs> Okay, so what other tips, tricks do you have for podcasters in terms of conversation? Do you have any, not set questions, mm. but sort of frameworks questions? I'm going to assume everything is always open-ended. Do you yeah. have any other tips and tricks on actually interviewing people? Because that is a strong point of yours. Mm. Do you know, it's, a lot of it's just come through speaker training, um, which I suppose is a big tip. Mm. I, I think now that I'm, now I'm thinking about it, the reason I'm, I'm very good at podcasting is because I was trained as a speaker first. If you can speak in front of an audience of human beings who are all looking at you, who all have their own emotions and be okay with that, then I actually find speaking in front of camera is actually easier. Mm. So I would say being a speaker is definitely a huge one. Um, and also let them feel comfortable. So it's not on camera, but off camera, I'll always have time beforehand to chat to them. So if you're doing, I do all mine in live in a studio. If you're doing it in a studio, don't do what I started, which was like, yes, five guests in one go. I'm going to be really convenient. I'm going to be really efficient, change my outfit. And it was like conveyor belts, right? Mm. I was one knackered by the end. Two, couldn't remember who I asked which questions to. So I was like, oh, did I already ask you this question or have I not? And actually I wasn't giving the opportunity to build rapport with them. Remember these guests could potentially be clients of yours. They could potentially partner with you. You don't know what they're up to. So I interviewed a guy called Dale Pinnock, who used to be a celebrity chef on this morning. And we had some technical issues beforehand. So we had 45 minutes to have coffee. And the amount we spoke now, I'd actually call him a quite good, good friend. And he's got so many connections from being on ITV that if, if I had my conveyor belt approach, there's nowhere it got to that point. So a big tip I would say is not in the interview, but before the interview, avoid them from saying things that they want to share on the interview. But, you know, just ask them, how was the journey? What are you up to? kind of build rapport with them, have a bit of a laugh with them. So then they relax on camera. Because if they just sit down, everyone naturally is more nervous and they've never been in front of a mic or a camera before. And so then you're taking about half an hour of getting into the episode where the good stuff comes, where they relax, where they laugh. And you kind of want to shortcut that off camera first. Yeah, so my tip, because some people do it online. So what I normally do is it, it's already recording before they join Riverside or Zoom. And I just ask them like shit questions about our weather today, just ease mm. them into it. And then I just ask them a really random question. Oh, I'm thinking about talking about this today. Um, like, let's say I pull from the mastermind. When he came on, we were just sort of shooting the shit for a little bit, pleasantries, whatever. He's like, oh, um, a big problem that a lot of the podcasters have is like imposter syndrome, anxiety. Like, you good to talk about that? He was like, yeah. And I literally said, oh, well, why do you think so many people suffer with it? And he kept talking. Then half an hour in, he sat up and he was like, oh shit, we're in it. <laughs> like, we're already yeah. in it. Because, you know, not everybody does it in person. You don't have that time. Mm. And most people are saying you're doing a virtual interview. It's, oh, in my Google calendar, I've got one hour. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm like, okay, that's 40 actual minutes of content and then a bit before and after. But then after that, they're like, I've got to go. 
Mm-hmm. So you really don't have time to to warm them up like you do in person. Not at all. Yeah, I've done a couple of online actually, um, which was so weird because I think I've done three online now because they're all in America, and but my studio is in London, and so it I, it was a real adjustment. I know most people start online and then move offline, but I actually preferred starting in the studio. I thought try you know start as I mean to go on kind of stuff, and that took a while to adjust. So here's a tip. I always put an hour and a half in someone's diary for an hour interview or 45 minutes interview mm. because then they don't know how long it is, but I have time to warm up beforehand and chat afterwards. Yeah. You know, generally when you've given to someone, the law of reciprocity kicks in. So if you've got time to chat afterwards, they're like, oh, well, when is this coming out? How can I share it? When when are you going to do this? And, and they start to want to give back because you've listened to them. Mm. That's what the business has done as well. Yeah. Because so a lot of creators, if you're, you have a business, I say mm. invite people on that you want as clients. Yeah. Because a lot of the time it's like, oh, can I, uh, can I pitch you for a bit? No. You know, it's a cold mm. call, it's a cold email, no. Come on, podcast? Sure. Amazing. Let's spend yeah. an hour talking about you. And most people will be like, oh, you're such a good conversationalist. And I'll just ask you about yourself for an hour. Yeah. You get to just drop in a few things here and there that's like wisdom. And then after that's when you close the businesses, mm-hmm. ideally. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think it depends it depends on the setup of the studio and, and your your way of hosting, right? Because also if they're, if they're potentially clients of yours, if they see you looking really professional, mm. you know, interviewing really good work, really good questions. For me, the studio, the studio I've used has got me business. People who come on the show have then said, oh, you know, oh, I also want a bit of PR. God, your camera set up. Look at your, so- even my social media. They're like, oh, the clips you've done. If that's what Chloe does with her podcast, what's she going to do for her clients? Mm. And it's, it's the level of professionalism as well as building the relationship what you do for free imagine what would happen if i paid you exactly so what are some of the mistakes you've made that people can avoid oh god well conveyor belt recording definitely um what else are the other big mistakes i this is a mistake in my book but some people will be like that's a great problem to have i bulk recorded too much mm. and we've spoken about this on the mastermind quite a bit you've helped me with it i because of how busy my life is I'm always on the go. I decided if I was going to do this podcast, I don't want to be that person that does 10 episodes and then gives up or is not consistent or is stressing every week. <gasps> I need to get a guest. Um, so I just did loads of recording, which was great at the beginning because I had a bank of like 15. I set my target, record 15 before I release. Because you release, what, six, I think, usually at the beginning and then you have the rest. It's fantastic. But what I didn't anticipate was the reaction to the podcast. So then loads of people were like, can I come on your show? Or big guests would say, yes, I expected no's. So I suddenly had a backlog of 30 recorded. I'm still going through the backlog now. I don't like calling it backlog because they're really good stories, mm. but it's actually a risk because then the, the guests forgot they've been on the show. They forgot what they've said and you've forgotten what they've said. So when you go to do your social media captions or your descriptions or whatever, you're like, what did we actually talk about? Mm. Now, I don't write my own show notes or descriptions or anything but i do my lives about them so every morning i'll do a live and i'll go this week's guest is blah blah blah. i can't just be like oh they're a great person i've got to actually pitch what they spoke Mm -hmm. about so i would say that's a really big mistake i made i think people make one or two mistakes one end of the spectrum they wing it and every week it's like what am i going to release or like me get too organized and then you get complacent I was at that stage where I was getting complacent. And then we did a challenge in the mastermind and Kane was like, I want you to pitch 20 guests. And I'm like, I don't need 20 guests. I've got, so I was like, do you know what? I'm going to pitch 10, but they're going to be huge. Like I'm going to be terrified to pitch myself to them um, just to keep pushing. And I was still getting yeses. That's amazing. Yeah. So who's your dream guest? Oh, that's a tough one. We laugh about making him cry, but I'd love to make Stephen Bartlett cry. Oh, that'd be good. I would love that. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) 
Um, I think Jay Shetty, I Great. really like his podcast and I think that his story is very inspiring. Um, Oprah Winfrey's story, again, incredible. Mm. I have a bucket list. So um, yeah, I can rattle them off. <laughs> How's the uh, Chase of Fern Cotton going? Oh, it's very good. So yeah, funny story. Um, I, I think, we've, I don't know if I actually mentioned this. So I've always wanted to have Fern Cotton on the podcast. That was like one of my first things because I really like her as a human being and her story is amazing. Um, and so I set the intention to get her on the show. I went to her festival and met her, had a few chats with her there, which was really cool. Um, and I'm now speaking at an event that she's headlining. So you're a stalker. You it sounds like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it does sound like that. Um, but it's, it's, going, it's going really well. Um, and I'm actually, I kid you not, not planned. I'm speaking at this event and I'm the person just before her on stage. Oh, amazing. So um, this is going to be hilarious when I do actually get her on the show because it'll just be really awkward. I'll have to mention it. Um, but one thing I would say on this about getting people is, and I think it was you that actually shared this in the mastermind to me is if you want someone on your show, get people on the show who know them or mm. connected with them. So again, this is completely by accident. From going to Fern Cotton's Happy Place Festival, I got Claire Daverley, who's just been signed by Penguin. She was being interviewed by Fern. I got a TV presenter who was hosting Happy Place, so knows Fern really well. Um, and so I'm starting to get in those circles, mm. which has been really interesting. So I would say it, it has been quite funny and she's definitely going to come on the show. Um, but just put yourself out there. If, if we just hide behind a message, it just won't work. You've got to be seen. You've got to go. If there's someone you want to have on your podcast, go and meet them in person. Go to an event, watch them do something else. Like you'd be surprised how many people would actually say yes when you ask them in person. So what's your biggest piece of advice to everybody starting a podcast now? Do it. And I, I, know, I, I, know, I know this sounds crazy, but there will be people listening to this who have probably been listening to your podcast for a while who still haven't launched the podcast. Mm. There'll be people who have had a dream or even recorded them who have not launched the podcast. The best way to keep your accountability is launch the damn thing. Mm. Tell people about it. Yeah, tell people about it. Agree a launch date, put it out there and just do it. It does not need to be perfect. You know, when I first launched the podcast, I didn't have a big team and I didn't have a big budget, but I was like, I'm just going to borrow people's advice. I'm just going to borrow people from my other teams that I run and all wing it myself. There was so much that I did on my own where I was like up till midnight. But if you just do it and just do it, even if it's 60, 70% what you want it to be, you can learn and grow. And trust me, even if it's perfect when you launch, you're still going to change it anyway. Oh yeah. You, I suppose you got to find the means in some way because every month you delay it, mm -hmm. there's just more competition and more competition and more competition. Just yeah. get it done. And I always sort of ask people, you know, if I'm speaking at an event, just put your hand up if you've made every decision perfectly in your life. No, you can never do it perfectly. Yeah. So just do it. And I would listen back to my own. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but my first episode probably made me vomit. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be terrible, but yeah. not necessarily when you first listen to it, mm -hmm. but by context of 120 episodes mm -hmm. later, of course it's going to be worse. Yeah. And I used to always think, this is another big thing, me being really honest. I've been around Progressive, whether it's the studios, whether it's the training company for a while. I've been around a lot of podcasters. I shared the stage with a lot of podcasters who have been podcasting for five years, 10 years. And there was always a voice in my head going, I've missed the game. I've missed mm -hmm. the boat. It's too late. And, um, and I interviewed a friend of mine, Ellie Mackay, on my, one of my events. And she was teaching everyone how to do podcasts and what she did with her podcast. And I felt like such a fraud being sat here because I was like, I'm, I'm too late. You're never too late. You mm. might have missed the early stages, but it's still here. Like I, I, used to, I waited two years because I was like, no, I've missed it. I'm too late, too late. I'm, I've done it now and it's, I'm loving it. So it's never too late. I know that sounds so cliche, but just get out of your own way because what is too late is not doing it later on. Guaranteed failure, if you understand. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So since launching, what are the things you've done right that's helped you be successful? 
So social media is the number one, I would say. Um, don't rely on the platforms to get you listeners. So, it, and I learned this through the book publishing process anyway, like Spotify, Apple, yes, it will, you know, if, if the episode's done well, it might pop up as suggested or whatever, you never know. You might rely on people sharing it. You might rely on the guests sharing it, but you putting it on your own social media is what gets you listeners. You promoting it, you need to market it. You can't record a fantastic episode and hope and cross your fingers that people are going to get out there. Mm. So I'd say what's worked really well was one, I would say releasing the episodes and having a really good social media platform to do that. Biggest one, how you launch it. So again, I've launched 32 books. So I've launched a lot of books and I thought, hang on, let's model it for podcasting. And you just need to get drum up so much attention, so much curiosity, make people curious, you know, who are your first guests going to be? Or what's the topic going to be? What's the imagery going to be? What's the artwork? What's the name? Get people talking about it. And they're like, what is Kane up to? He's constantly talking about this podcast. Let me tell you, if you think people are, if you're, if you think you're spamming people or they're going to get fed up of you, they'll still remember you and they're still thinking about you. Mm -hmm. So just do it and enjoy the process and just talk about it. And the launch is the big thing I would say. And you did it well. And I know because I was getting three WhatsApps voice notes from you a day for about three weeks. <laughs> it works. <laughs> so we're thinking about this. Yeah. Great idea. <laughs> yeah. Constant. I know. I definitely leveraged the access to you in the mastermind a little That's too fine. much. <laughs> Don't worry. So what's the plan going forward? What's the big goal for the podcast? So number one, get a phone curtain on the podcast. Definitely. Um, I, my ultimate, I've never said this out loud, but my ultimate is to get the podcast on other channels as well. I would love to take the show onto radio, TV. I've got a few contacts in the industry at the moment that I'm trying to work with on it. Um, but I just want to, I just want to keep speaking to really cool people and not just the big names. Yeah, of course, having celebrities is exciting and you can leverage it, but there are so many inspiring stories of people that have never been heard of that could give so much to people, but they don't have the blue tick they don't have the millions of followers mm. so for me i just want to keep having conversations and the most important one i want to keep enjoying it mm. as soon as i don't enjoy it it's going to be a chore and then i won't want to do it that's why i don't edit my own stuff <laughs> to be fair the celebrities are great because it sort of opens the door and allows you to have the conversations you really want mm -hmm. so, you know I, if you only just sort of do don't say no names but people with zero following if you haven't already got a following that is tough gig Definitely. Tough gig. Yeah. So I think a, a nice combination is good. It makes mm -hmm. better content. Yeah. And I would say pick your first few, if you are doing guests and interviews, pick your first few guests wisely. So you don't always have to release the guests you record first. Mm. So I recorded a couple of guests that I know are great stories and really inspiring, but don't have a big well-known name. But I release the people first that do to help build up the platform for those that didn't. Have you ever not released an episode you've recorded? Not yet. No, haven't yet. Would you? If it was really crap, would you just think, nah? I don't think I would because I think that I would have failed the guest. For me, I would rather... So I always deal with the elephant in the room. So for example, if I forget what question I was going to say, I'm like, totally gone blank. What was my question? And then I'll carry on. So I would actually probably deal with the elephant in the room and say, look, I'm going to pause you here. I don't feel like we're... I don't feel like I'm asking you the best questions and I don't feel like we're getting the best to our listeners. So how about we change it up a little bit? And I'll, I'll probably... I'll notice it during, during. the episode. Yeah. And then I'd still release that because it's still being raw and real. I suppose you're very self-aware and you're quite good. Mm. I'd probably advise most people, if you listen back to anything that's utter crap, yeah. I wouldn't release it really? personally. If it's one on your own, because you can re-record definitely, mm. if it's one with a guest, do you know what I think the reason I wouldn't? 
I don't know how I would say to a guest, I'm really sorry, but your story wasn't inspiring enough to come on the Inspired By show. It's not you. It's just, you're really boring. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it is you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk about a lot of just looking after your audience's time. You know, pretend you're, again, coming from a, a speaking background. If you've got a hundred people in a room and they've traveled hours to come to listen to you speak, like, it better be good. And that's how I see it. Mm. rather than the numbers on the screen so i think if that content's crap i'm personally not uploading it yeah yeah exactly thank you for your time no problem thank you for having me <laughs>